Elementary music teacher friend, you love what you do, but you might feel unappreciated and, in fact, unseen some days. You may even feel like you're on a music teacher island and just want to connect with other music teachers who can relate to both your struggles and wins when it comes to teaching elementary music. I get you and understand completely the feelings you're having. That's why each and every week, the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast will provide you with solo and guest episodes that will help you realize you're not alone in your music teaching journey. Throughout each episode, my goal is for you to be able to walk away with actionable steps and ideas to help you feel like you're ready to take on the new week with whatever challenges may be thrown your way. Hi, I'm your host, Jessica Peresta, and I'm so glad you're here. Whether you're at home, in your car, in the shower, or wherever else you're listening, grab your cup of coffee or whatever other beverage is nearby and listen in to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. Hi, I'm Lisette Jacobson, host of the Black, Brown, and Bilingue podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome back to the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. Today, I am joined by Terry Lloyd, and we're going to talk about how to create and deliver lessons that foster a positive classroom environment. I am super excited to have Terry here today, and I am really excited to dive into this conversation. So before we get going, Terry, I would love for you to introduce yourself and let our listeners know a little bit more about you. Hi, Jessica. We met online several years ago, but I am really excited to meet you in person. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like other music teachers, you know, I've worn many different hats during my career. I started out as a band director in grades five through 12, and I've taught high school vocal music, but most of my career has been spent in the elementary music classroom. Currently, I'm working outside the classroom designing elementary music curriculum and presenting workshops. I also am on the music staff at our church and I perform in pit orchestras for active theater groups. My husband and I also perform in a local big band. And one of the things that's really special about this band is that we're a philanthropic group and we donate all our proceeds from our gigs to local high school band programs. And this year we were able to donate to seven seven area high schools. That's awesome. Oh my gosh, I love that. So it sounds like you have your feet dipped into a lot of different areas of music. uh, And I love that. I talk about that on this podcast a lot is keep the musician part of who you are going because it's easy to lose that as you are a teacher, you know, and it's, oh yeah, I was a musician first. So I love that. How exciting. Yeah, I agree. And my husband and I, we met in uh, college playing in our jazz band, sat beside each other, and we still sit beside each other playing in this group. So, Oh, that's so fun. What a fun story. So I want to ask you, we're going to be talking about creating and delivering lessons, and we talked about how that contributes to creating a positive classroom environment. So I just want to start off by asking you, why do you think this topic and this conversation is so important? We don't often think about this, but the way that we create and organize our lesson plans really does have a profound effect on classroom management and the classroom climate in general. 
we all know that classroom management is a complex issue and it has many different factors. And some of those factors are beyond our control. But you can't control what happened with the students before they enter your classroom, but you can help them have a fresh start in a safe, welcoming environment. And it's so important to just greet students by making eye contact, smiling, acknowledging them, giving them a simple tap on the shoulder as they enter, and then immediately engaging them in a transition activity that leads them directly to their seats or their assigned spots. Something you said that really stuck out to me was about the fact that sometimes kids, this is something you said that just made me think about this. Sometimes kids will come into the music room and they have had an awful morning or they have had some classroom management issues in let's say their regular classroom and they come into the music room and sometimes this happened to me several times. A teacher would be like, watch out for Johnny, you know, or he has an attitude today. And I remember thinking, at first I, I I was like, oh, so immediately my thought would go, Johnny has an attitude. I, I immediately was like honed in on him and really kind of focused in on, okay, he has an attitude today. I just got to deal with it. But then I had a mindset shift and I said, wait a minute, just because he had a, had an attitude there doesn't mean that I'm going to um, just view him as having an attitude in the music room. I want it to be a fresh start where I'm viewing him with fresh eyeballs and giving him a chance to succeed in here. So yeah, do you agree with that? Like it's sometimes hard to just kind of not view kids as the way they acted in another classroom setting when they come into the music room. I 100% agree with that. And um, if Johnny hears the teacher say that, yeah. they're setting him up for failure. Mm. And so we need to just pull him aside and say, hey, you know, whatever happened before, I'm sorry about that, but it's a news, you get a new start, brand new start here. Let's have a good time. Yeah. Okay. Well, something you said just sparked that in my mind, because I just think it's easy to just as teachers, you know, the frustration's real and you hear them, you know, just saying something about a child and you're immediately like, oh, well, I need to just be on guard with this kid. And sometimes, yeah, like sometimes they're telling you for a reason, like, hey, there's been some stuff, you know, just so you're aware, but other times it is kind of just, just don't tell me about this kid. Because I remember what happened to me with classroom management, where we're going to get into the lesson planning part, which helped tremendously. But something else that I remember talking to some classroom teachers that were like, how are you not having issues with that child in here? And I was like, I'm just not. I think because of that fact, because I just didn't look at them through this lens that everybody was putting them in this bubble, I gave them a chance to succeed in my classroom. And so, and also some of that probably does contribute. Part of the contributing factor is sometimes kids just really enjoy music room. So they try harder for you. That's, I mean, honestly, sometimes that's what it is too. <laughs> yeah. I've had those experiences too. We're in a conference about a kid. I'm like, are you talking about the same child? Because <laughs> I do not see this. I know. <laughs> so yeah. you're like, oh, okay. But yeah. Well, I love your perspective on this. And so I want to dive into it further. And when it comes to lesson planning, one things one thing that teachers don't consider is their mindset, which we kind of just touched upon that. But why does planning start with the mindset around it? Everything relates to everything. I had a university professor who used to say this all the time, and she was right. Avoiding misbehaviors is always better than dealing with them. And one important way that we can avoid misbehaviors 
is to teach fun, engaging activities and to implement them in a compassionate, friendly manner with no wasted class time. If you made students wait for you while you pause and look at your lesson plans to see what's next, or you're reviewing directions for an activity, or you're getting out supplies, you're not connecting with them. Our time is so precious. And during those wasted seconds, you're inviting disruption, even if it is only for a few seconds. It's important to implement our lessons in a seamless manner. So what are some ways, because I know this is probably, and you working with teachers know this as well, but one of the biggest struggles is those transitional periods or, oh my gosh, I forgot where I was in my lesson plan flow. Where am I? We know that those natural breaks is when kids start talking more or bothering their neighbor or messing with an instrument they shouldn't be messing with. So how do you keep kids on track or engaged even through those little bit, little bit of transitional periods. One of the things is simply moving immediately from one activity to the next and using as few words as possible when you give directions. If it's doable, just jump immediately into the next activity without any directions. Hmm. You can use sign language. You can use simple signals to show students what to do. I'm from Missouri and we call that the show me state. So <laughs> <laughs> that's just a big part of music is showing students, not necessarily telling them. Um, kids innately want to do. They do not want or they don't need to hear a long soliloquy about what we're going to do next. Mm. A long passage of directions is ineffective anyway. Kids will just tune you out. If you need to give oral directions, just keep them very short and very simple. Yeah, that's hard to do, though. I know that took me a while to figure that out. <laughs> I feel like part of that is college. We are taught when we're taught to be teachers, giving all the directions and telling students what they're doing and going over the objectives and all that is important. But I remember being so guilty about talking way too much. And you can just slowly see the little ripple effect of the kids losing interest in what you're saying. It, it is. It takes a little bit of getting used to. But once you get those little catchphrases down that you use over and over, echo me, watch me, and the sign language that goes with them, sometimes you don't even have to say it. Just sign, watch me, and, and do it. Mm -hmm. And so. Yeah. And you're right that giving directions, even non-verbally, sometimes is way more effective than just talking about what you're doing. I remember, I think as music educators, most of us have lost our voices at one point or another. And there was a day I showed up and I thought, how am I going to do this today? I can't sing. I can't talk. The kids are, I'm going to lose them. It was crazy to me to realize because I was quiet. It's almost like they fed off of that and they were quiet. <laughs> And I gave so many nonverbal directions or wrote it out or just pointed at something and used a lot of hand gestures. And I remember the kids, because I was quiet, they would naturally start whispering to each other. And I thought, this is, this is wild to me. So you're right. They feed off your energy and they, that moment in time really showed me, I need to start using more nonverbal directions and cues. And so that was a wake up call for me. So yeah. <laughs> they absolutely do. I, yeah, all of us have lost our voice. That's for sure. It happens. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's hard. And then I think because you use your voice so much when you're singing and talking, you think that is sometimes the only way you can effectively teach. And so when you have those moments you can't, it really shows you how showing, not telling is effective. And sometimes it's those moments that you are forced to do that that shows you, okay, I can do this. I didn't know I could, but I definitely can. And like you said, it takes practice. It just takes practice in doing it. And I think that comes with experience and just trying and see what works and then going from there. So yeah, for sure. So when we are talking about structuring activities in the music room, you touched on this a little bit already, but how does this help with classroom management? Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of organizing lessons in PowerPoint or Google Slides and using a presentation format makes it so easy to keep everything organized and immediately available. As music teachers, we pull from many different sources and you can pull links from all those sources, put them into one presentation. And this helps you be able to move immediately from one thing to the next. Upload your audio files that you might need. If you're using different platforms like Quizlet, Kahoot, Music Play, Quavers, whatever it is, take a screenshot of that activity, stick it in your PowerPoint, and then put the direct link right to that exact activity. This eliminates any searching for activities on your computer. And if your administrator requires you to turn in your lesson plans, which sometimes some of my administrators did, mm -hmm. all you have to do is print your PowerPoint or your Google Slides presentation with six slides per page and turn it in and you're done. Mm. If you write notes to yourself or anything, you can print three slides with the notes on the other side and turn that in. So it makes it really easy. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the most important benefits of organizing your lesson plans in a presentation software is that you can embed the directions right into your presentation. And that helps out with that talking less and teaching more that we talked about. You can have those simple, succinct directions and jump right into the activity without saying anything at all. You can simply point to the directions, which might say, read the rhythm, um, clap the clap the rhythm or whatever the directions are, real simple. And by using those different modalities, we reach more students. Students who struggle with oral comprehension might do better when they see the directions. And hearing impaired students will definitely benefit from being able to read simple directions. And as you see, I'm talking with my hands as mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. signing C. Yeah, that's just part of, it's all built in. Mm -hmm. But having those directions embedded in your presentation also keeps the teachers on track with everything that we have to do just swirling around in our heads. It's so easy to get sidetracked. And if those directions are embedded, it's one less thing you have to worry about. You can concentrate on observing your students for comprehension and connecting with them. If you use learning targets or I can statements, you can insert those in your presentation, either at the beginning of the lesson or as an introductory slide right before each activity. And maybe depending upon the musical knowledge and skills required, you might not need alternative sub plans 
if someone else could walk in and deliver that lesson. And one, one other thing that seems unusual, but it really does happen, is that having those directions embedded into your presentation reduces power struggles. Sometimes students don't want to be told what to do by a teacher, but when the activity tells you what to do, that's okay. And I know that doesn't make much sense since the teacher creates the activity, but this really does happen. I created an activity and I made um, sketches of myself and I put it on in the activity showing hand signs for pitches. And the first time I did this, it was so funny because one boy in the back of the room just blurts out that he just blurts out that looks like her. <laughs> and somebody immediately blurted out that looks a lot like her. And the next person said, that's cause it is her. <laughs> so, so even when you put a picture of yourself in your presentation, kids often pay more attention. They're often more engaged than if you stand up there, there's not a power struggle between, oh, I don't mm -hmm. feel like doing that today. And so it's a really interesting dynamic. So when you're talking about creating lessons in PowerPoint or slide decks, do you suggest to teachers, so this makes it easier, but I would bet like the first time they do this, it is a little bit of a learning curve. And then after that, would you say just use that first set of slide decks they created as a template for weeks to come? Yes. And I like to plan at a month at a time mm. because I, I feel like a lot of our younger teachers particularly aren't giving enough repetition to activities. Mm -hmm. And so students don't have ingrained when, when you teach an activity, a student should be able to walk away from that classroom and sing that song or play that, or do that game on the playground with friends. And we need to give them enough repetition to do that. And we're tracking, you know, several classes at a time. I always had three first grades, three second, three of each grade level as we mm -hmm. went all the way up K through five. And in the corner of my lesson plans, I would put a little box and I would write down how many times each group did that. And three was kind of the magic number for us. Usually by the third time we did it, we had it mastered. But if we, and when we did, I would black that out to show that that particular class is ready to go on. And recording that in the presentation makes it so much easier too. You, you know exactly where each class is. And then when you're done with that activity, you can just drag that and put it at the bottom of your slide deck. And you've got your next things for the month right there. And then next year, when you come back, and this is, was always important to me too. When I do a lesson, if something didn't go quite right, boom, mm. I sit down and I, I modify it right mm. then and there. So that when the next fourth grade class comes in, we're doing it a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And so then the next year, when you pull up your March lessons, you've got everything that you did the last year, you can just either pull or, or move everything around for the next year. It becomes much easier the second year. Mm-hmm. And when kids are repeating activities, I love how you said you noted that of this is their second time or third time. You probably notice that helps with classroom management as well, because we already talked about nonverbal communication. Well, if you're playing a familiar game or song or activity, kids are going to immediately jump in and be engaged right away versus you needing to give instructions or explain it or show it. Do you notice that after you've done it two or three times, they're 
the classroom management even is going even better. Absolutely. And one of the things I like to do too, with that repetition is adding something new because mm. then, okay, now we're going to add a body percussion second time. Maybe now we're going to add a xylophone part, or now we're going to add, you know, a uh, rhythm instruments, or now we're going to add scarves, a movement mm. activity. So that helps keep them fresh also, but yet, and then you can down the road, you can use those same songs and activities as your transition activities. When students come in, they know, already know mm. it. They can sing that song without, they can do that activity uh, without looking, they've got it memorized. And so there are a lot of different ways to, to build on that learning. Yeah. And when you were talking, one thing I've always loved to do is when kiddos are coming in the room to play a song or have a body percussion activity going right away where it's not, you know, like you already said, not come in, go to your seats. Okay. Look at the board today. We're going to do this. No, immediately they walk in and you're just clapping a rhythm or doing some kind of body percussion, or you have a song playing and they just immediately know, Oh, we're singing this. And that cuts down on classroom management issues, especially the talking issue, because I've always said if kids and you brought, you know this as well, if their mouths are doing something and their bodies are doing something, they can't do much else because their brains are focused on that activity. So I love that you said that you can always use a song or an activity they've already done at the beginning of class. And that definitely helps with classroom management. I get asked a lot, like, what warm up should I do? And that's one thing I say is something you've already done. Like, just, you know, it doesn't need to be complicated. I agree. I like to start those uh, transition activities in the hallway, the, mm -hmm. the students, even in the back of the room, back of the row, mm -hmm. they're engaged before they enter the room. So while teaching a lesson, having high expectations and teaching with enthusiasm is important. So why do you think this is? Well, our expectations for students become a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we believe that they can achieve at a high level, and we scaffold that learning into smaller doable chunks, students will be successful. They will live up to your expectations. And it's important for us to create challenging but attainable activities and then differentiation options for students of varying abilities. And we talked a little bit about choosing fun songs and activities that you mm -hmm. enjoy. I can't tell you how many times that I've started a new activity and I say, this is one of my favorite songs as I introduce it. And my students would say, you have a lot of favorite songs. <laughs> and I guess I do. And, but I recently had a, a teacher tell me that she wasn't really into a lesson and she was just phoning it in. Hmm. And this happened to be the day that her principal showed up for an unannounced observation. She said her students weren't paying attention they weren't engaged in the lesson and she knew that her observation conference later in the day was not going to be good, but we can't expect our students to be interested in a lesson or an activity unless we demonstrate a high level of interest too. They'll see right through that facade. If you try to fake it. One thing I think is a struggle is when you were already talking about, you say your third, fourth grade class comes to you later in that week and you've already done this same activity this is maybe the third time and you're feeling a little bit like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of teaching this. How do you keep your enthusiasm up for when you've taught the same lesson, let's say three to five times? It is hard, but um, I, I love quotes. 
and I would always have a quote of the month on the door on my door. So as I approach, it was always something about being happy. Hmm. Um, and, and one of the quotes I used was happy people smile. That would be on my door. And so just seeing that as I'm releasing one class and as the next class is coming in, that is a big, you know, that that's a big boost for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got, here we go again, put the smile on. And once you do it, you feel better about it. Yeah. So. And it's sometimes just reframing your mindset of, although this is my 74th time to teach this, whatever the number is, this is their first time. So it's just, it is hard, like you said, to keep that enthusiasm, the same enthusiasm you had the first time you taught it versus the fourth or fifth, but your students don't know that's your fourth or fifth time to teach it. So it is sometimes, I love that you said that, just smiling or Sometimes, you know, that phrase, fake it till you make it. Well, maybe if you're not feeling it anymore, but you're just like, you know what? I'm going to smile and I'm going to start this. And sometimes what happens is even though you're maybe not mentally wanting to do that again, once you get going and teaching that activity again, you start enjoying it again. It's just sometimes like take that step, start it, and then you're going to feel you're going to be into it more than you thought you would. (laughs) That happened to me so many times. (laughs) And we see those fresh faces singing. We get energy back from them. Yes, that's true too. You're right. We have talked about so much today. This has been such a helpful conversation, but is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to share before we go? Well, we all know that as music teachers, we don't just teach music. We teach a whole host of other skills and that includes nonverbal, verbal communication, listening skills, cooperation and team building, we help students build real self-esteem and confidence through their achievement in music. We have positive messaging through songs, opportunities to be expressive and creative, that growth mindset, and not just a growth mindset, but we teach students how to improve. And most importantly, we develop a sense of community and a place where every student can belong. And that I think is missing, a missing piece in our society today. Mm -hmm. Great words of wisdom. So can you let everybody know where they can connect with you after this episode airs? Yes, uh, my blog is fraumusic.com and that's the German spelling, F-R-A-U-M-U-S-I-K.com. And on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, I'm Frau Music USA. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I've loved having you. Thank you, Jessica. It's been really nice to see you in person. Hey, music teacher friend. I want to let you know about a free guide called Five Steps to Simplifying Your Lesson Planning. We know as an elementary music teacher how stressful it can be planning lessons every single week for all the grade levels you teach that need to meet the state or national standards, that will reach different learning styles, and that are also fun and engaging for your students. If you've had thoughts like, am I doing this whole lesson planning thing right? Then check out this guide. It will help you with lesson planning with ease. So simply head to subscribe.thedomesticmusician.com forward slash simplifying lesson planning or check out the link in the show notes. 
Well, hey there. Thank you so much for listening into the Elementary Music Teacher Podcast. There is an exclusive Facebook group just for listeners of this podcast and any elementary music teacher called the Elementary Music Teacher Community Facebook group. Come on over and join us there where we have conversations around the podcast episodes and encourage each other each and every week. And also head to my website, thedomesticmusician.com. I have some free resources there that you can download to help you gain traction in your classroom today, as well as the blog and the membership site and all kinds of other goodies to help you keep going in your music teaching journey. I cannot wait to keep connecting with you and encouraging you and spurring you on in your journey of teaching elementary music. Hang in there, have an amazing week, and I will see you soon.